One last uh, postscript. We began discussing this yesterday in the drasha when we raised all the shailas. I realized whoever's not going to be here next week is uh, uh, not going to be able to follow, but we're going to cover, if you weren't here yesterday or next week, uh, we're going to cover some more of it as we go on in Navi. Just to close off one postscript on Yehoyada and the uh, disaster that ensued after he was nifter with Yoyash. We explained last week the psychological underpinnings of the uh, innate, inborn Yetzirah to try not to have a curse of type to people because you don't want to be beholden, nobody wants to be a Baal And over here they convinced him that everything Yehoyada and his Rebetzin did was self-serving and they suppressed his uh, godless and his power Sometimes there's a shred of truth to something. Over here, normally Shekhar Aglayim, over here there was nothing to it. His whole existence, physically and in Ruchnius, was due to his uncle, the kind Godel. His uncle had saved Klayasol, saved the Malchus, saved the Mikdash. And uh, he somehow managed to not only not see it like that, but turned everything on its head and turned his back on the entire Messiah. As we started discussing yesterday, it sounds like everything Yehuda did was undone. Lamaisa, he held together the Malchus and Klai Yisrael to get to the next dar, despite the Yoyesh's going off the derech. I'll just read one pasuk, which is going to sound very familiar from the David Hashem Ari the Yishi. David Malach in Tehillim says a lot al derech Hanavua, things that are not going to happen for a long, long time. And over here, this one Pasuk, which we all know, but it's going to give it new insight, discusses David's uh, understanding of what will happen in the future when Malchus Bez David will be at its lowest ebb and will <coughs> almost disappear. Ki yitzpeneni b'sukai b'yayim ra. Yitzpeneni b'sukai b'yayim ra, the Medrash says, refers to the protection that Yayesh had in the Kedush HaGadoshim. And we know that because the next phrase, Yastirene Besesa Ohaloi, Ohaloi is the Mikdash, and his descendant Yayesh will be hiding, will be growing up from infancy in the Mikdash, right above the Kedush HaGadoshim. Bitsur Yeroi Memeni, Bitsur Yeroi Memeni, it's a rock, something that holds something fast, something that uh, is there. We always uh, use in English the the expression of the rock of Gibraltar. Um, that's uh, comes from uh, secular uh, literature, all probability. But it always comes to a rock is a tzur, which David Amal uses many, many times to him. Is something, if it's large enough, it's hard enough, it's not going to budge and it's going to hold things in place. So, but tzur, Yeremimeni, the Medjur says here, refers to Yehoyada. Interestingly enough, yeah, for, for a tzaddik, we never heard of before we learned this. It's astounding how this one man held everything together and goes down in history as the man who got us to the next point, despite the fact that everything seems to go wrong afterwards, which is what we're going to continue with today. And that's going to be, uh, we're going to plug that in for the theme of Hanukkah and Mitzvah next week. Uh, but So You Are Many is quite a hesped uh, for, for Yoyada and what he accomplished. David Malbadar Navua sees that uh, his entire Malchus and the uh, work of the Beis Amikdash 
And the essence of Klaisol will be continued because of this one man. So it's quite apropos. And with that positive note, we'll go on to the uh, negative uh, stuff that will be going on in the next parak. Let's go to Malachim Bay's parak Yud Gimel. And uh, we'll see. There's yet uh, quite a few uh, incredible tzaddikim to come. I always like putting in the good news. That's the good news. The bad news is the Chorban will not happen for a while, but over the next year or so, here and this year, over the next number of Prokham to the end of Malachim Bays, it will be a slope that looks like a stock market that's always going down with a few uh, upticks, a few good days or weeks in between. Uh, we'll yet point out the Milas and the need for that, but uh, let's start the Parak. Parak Gimel, Pazagala. Bishnas Esen, Vashalashana, Liyayesh, Ben, Achazio, Melech, Yehuda. Malach Yehoachaz ben Yehu al Yisrael b'Shemer and Shavas Reishana. Now, Shavas Reishana is a long time for a Malach Yisrael. Some reign longer, many reign shorter. You're used to by now, I hope. Uh, we keep switching back and forth between Malach Yisrael and Malach Yehuda. You wouldn't believe how difficult it is to get a hold of a chart that just lists the Malach Yisrael. I have a chart, and we're going to use it uh, over the next couple of months because some of these names are going to get confusing. So, Mitzvah uh, we will hand that out in due time. Over here, it's not confusing yet. We have, the first contrast is when they reigned vis-a-vis the Melech Yehuda and vice versa. But we're going to focus now, the parak is going to focus on uh, the Malchi Yisrael and what they're up to or what they're not up to. And in Pasuk Bey, it's going to sound familiar. V'yas hara b'ene Hashem, yelech acha chatas yeravim benavata shehechatis Yisrael lo sarmimena. Now, there are various gradations of v'yas hara b'ene Hashem. The fact that it says that he didn't get rid of the chatas yeravim, the eagle from yeravim, is not that surprising, because even the better kings won't start up at that psak, if you recall. Those agolim were originally put there as a hedge against Malchi Yehuda, the people shouldn't go to Yushalayim to the Besamitish, he said, we have our own temple, and we have this ego representing the Shevet. It didn't mean it originally for Avodah although it degenerated to that. And what really should have been done, even if he's getting rid of other Avodah which he didn't necessarily do over here, is to get rid of that and press the reset button and rejoin, which, in fear for their cover, their life, their position, unfortunately, no one's going to do. And the best we're going to have is much later, at the very end of Alchus Yisrael, where Hosea will allow people to go up to Yushalayim. That was a huge concession already. And the problem is he didn't push it, he won't push it, he'll just allow it. Some people go, most people don't. But that is not coming for a while, and nobody else did that. So again, this, uh, this matzav by the Yisrael Shashvatim, Kosh Baruch Hu, in his Midas Arachimim, always tries to wake them up. And as you know already from Shavtim, and from Malachim, when Hashem sends a message, the hope is that if Leolena or Sarah comes and they're attacked, maybe it'll wake somebody up. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the next Pasuk. Did you ever notice that uh, Eret Yisrael is strategically placed right in the middle of the crossroads of civilization, constantly, by definition, surrounded by hostile nations, Kamat, all nations are hostile, and Etzisol is small. It's not small in terms of whatever you need, in terms of the ability to live there, they're going to have, 
and then some left over, Los Lovo, the other three nations. It's expandable, Eritzvi, but it was small. That wasn't the issue over here. The issue was that they're always surrounded by enemies. Baruch left one front open, the ocean, and even that, the Romans came by ship. It, wasn't, it was open that it wasn't the constant border crossings, but the other three sides did, as it is today. Most of the wars fought in the uh, modern era were wars on various fronts. You kind of wonder, begs the question, we have a country like America, from uh, sea to shining sea, and we don't have any threats on our border. Okay, some say you've got to build a wall in the south. They've got people coming over the border. Okay, that's not a... No one's coming over with, uh, with armies. We had a couple of wars, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't for centuries on end. And the northern border is more or less the same country. I lived in Canada for a while. It's the exact same thing. Kind of wonder why. Okay, so they uh, pledge allegiance to the queen once in a while. But it's uh, basically, Baruch Hashem, basically the same thing. We see eye to eye come out on everything. And then we got an ocean on one side, a huge ocean. Um, rarely, once in a blue moon, you got some kamikazes coming across, but that didn't happen too often. And you have a huge ocean on the other side. That, that's a very, very good natural protection. Kosh Baruch Hu could have done that for its Yisrael. He Badafka didn't. And the reason is, when things are going well, and the Ruchmias is where it's supposed to be, so the nations will, will bring tribute and be subservient. And when things aren't going well, it's a very easy thing to remind Klai Yisrael that you have people right next door and they're not too friendly. Same reason, I believe, why, and statistically, this is also absolutely astounding. Uh, did you ever notice there's this uh, greasy, uh, liquidy object in the Middle East in great abundance? A huge abundance. Uh, it's called oil. We're finding out in America they have some also. It depends which administration. Uh, but... There's a lot of oil in the Middle East, all over the place. The only place with absolutely no oil is Eretz Yisrael. Every single spot. As a matter of fact, when they had the Sinai, one of the riots that it wasn't part of Eretz Yisrael is they found some oil. That was proof positive that it wasn't part of the natural boundary. Why is that? So the answer is, is that uh, even though Hashem in Chumash promises natural resources all over the Pesukim, that's the natural resources you need for the basic living. You have bread, and you have fruit, and you even have some metals <coughs> which are needed to build things. Oil is something that's going to either make you totally independent or dependent on the, the stance and the hostility, or lack thereof, of the Umas Oilam. And since oil is only something that was needed later on in history during Gullus, HaKosh Baruch Hu, made it that we're not going to be totally independent, even with our own Medina. And we're not in any way. The, the oil is a huge thing, uh, militarily, financially, politically, as part of Gullah's conditions. It could very well be that Los Alohu were going to find huge deposits of oil that just haven't found it yet. It wouldn't surprise me, but uh, right now there's, uh, there's nothing there, and it's part of the same concept. So Pasuk, with that introduction, Pasuk Gimel, V'yichar, Hashem Yisrael, he comes back like a bad penny. Not the first time we've seen him. Aram again is right next door. And they're harassing them, attacking constantly armies and terrorists and all sorts of things that um, are interrupting uh, the economy and people are getting uh, killed as well and they're losing territory. 
Okay, so that's why I uh, gave you a heads up over here that as kings go, this Yoyochaz ben Yehu, he was not the worst of them. First of all, he shouldn't be the worst. Who was his father? Yehu. Who was Yehu? Yehu was the, was the tzaddik, or Sarof, the tzaddik, who wiped out uh, the previous Malchus that did Avodah Zarah, and he did it completely Shem Shemayim. So Yehu Starov is a very good guy. Okay, things went sour, and Avodah Zarah crept back in, but this is his son. So it means uh, once upon a time he learned in Cheder, and he knew something about, he knew how to read, knew something about davening, knew something about Kadosh Baruch Hu, and this is already good in the Malchah Yisrael in terms of a reaction. They're attacked, he sees they're in bad shape, he davens. Okay, that's a breath of fresh air. Despite the fact that people were not worthy and they didn't really do a full tshuva, neither did he. Because the Pasuk says he didn't get rid of the Agolom uh, from Yerobim, didn't get rid of all the Avodazar, but he davened. Ki lochatz asam melech aram. He saw the tremendous pressure the Klai Yisrael was under. And the Kosh Baruch Hu, in Shemayim there's always the uh, process of the Mius Adin, Mius Arachimim, the carrot and the stick. And here Kosh Baruch Hu wants to show them that if you daven, it has an effect even if you're not worthy. Sometimes. And Hashem wanted to give them a reprieve. That reprieve comes in Pasuk it's interesting, the Pasuk here gives you a summary and then goes into the detail later. V'yitin Hashem Yisrael Moshiach. doesn't say who it is, I'll explain that in a moment. V'yitzim mitachat yad Aram. And they were able to throw off the yoke of Aram. V'yeshu b'nei Yisrael ba'olam kismol shilshom. And everything went back to normal. Who is this Moshiach? Take a look at Rashi and Pasuk Hey. V'yitin Hashem Yisrael Moshiach as Yoyash ben Yoachaz. Shanam Raboy sholosh palmam takes Aram. You're going to hit Aram and make a Rashim in the battle three times, in three different battles. Shalosh Palmasakas Aram. Now, this Yoachaz had a son, Rashi says. He was the next king. His name was Yayush. And he's the one who's going to be the uh, commander in the army. And he's going to um, not win every battle. He's going to make a Rashim three times. And interestingly enough, what Rashi's referring to is actually when he becomes king, which we didn't get to yet. So, the Yeshua will come enough to put Klai Yisrael back in its firm standing, hopefully to get them thinking, well, Yehoshua has davened, and his son fought a battle, and we're actually uh, were able, with a smaller army, much smaller, to push them back, and maybe we should do full tshuva now. That was quite a Yeshua. That's the purpose. If it's going to happen or not, we'll see, uh, because we have a lot to see about the details in terms of... Uh, who this Yayash was, and why he was able to have uh, three battles that he won pretty decisively. But yeah. The purpose of the battle is to jar people into reality. The purpose of the losses, the purpose, so that it did. And he daven to Hashem. Good news is, he didn't daven to the Baal, he didn't daven to Zeus. That's already uh, 
for them, that's already a milo. They have plenty of uh, plenty of are sitting around. So if it sparks somebody to the recognition that he needs help and that uh, that help has to come only from Akash Baruch Hu, that's already a step in the right direction. Yes, it was only because they were crying out, but the most extreme example is going to be Menashe, which we didn't get to, and he's being roasted alive on a hot metal horse, and he cries out to have Avodah first, and nothing happens because they're Avodah And then he cries out to Akash Baruch Hu, and it works. So why should it work? That's Ein L'chal L'shmo, Answers Hashem always wants to show that uh, no matter how far a person has gone, they can still reach out. A high madrig would be lishma, but had they reached out and really made a change in their life, it would have uh, remained the status quo. That's not going to happen. That shows you how far the Mitzvah Rachamim goes. Hashem wants anything, any change, any uptick, any machshava uh, that, uh, yes, this is why we got into the mess and it's very uncomfortable and we don't like being uncomfortable, but the more comfortable they, uh, they become, the more they'll do tshuva. It's not the highest madriga, but it's, it's something. We, uh, we, for many years, even into adulthood, give, uh, give children and young adults and middle-aged adults all sorts of incentives to do things in Ruchnius. And we say, So Chaim Velashna says, even if you go your whole life, you never become 100% Lashma, as long as you're raising the bar, that's what counts. You can go from 8% Lashma to 10% Lashma. Or fifty percent lishma, but that uh, that's better than the alternative. So, unfortunately, even this amount will not uh, work. But we're going to have to read a lot more to see why, and to see what happened. Pasuk vav. Hey, just said that they were now sitting firm as they did before. Achla saru mechatos beis yeravam, ashehechati yisrael ba halach. They still continued in this derech. Of what uh, again became of Adazar, from Beis Yerava, Vagam Ha'asherah Amda B'Sharmer. Not only that, can't only blame it on the original Agolim of Yerava. They had an Asherah. Asherah is um, a totem pole. If you don't know what a totem pole is, Hebrew translation is Asherah. What would be another word for it? It's, uh, you look at the Indians, they have plenty of Adazar in this country. You look at the American Indians, the Aztec Indians. We spoke about this, the Chukla Sam Shir, scary looking things. All sorts of very frightening faces. Um, Shaila, whether you can look at these things in a museum, because you're having Hanah, people go to museums to see interesting things. Chaznish has a shtickle where he talks about whether that's considered Hanah or not, just looking. But it shouldn't be a Cholomoy trip, it's not. But they have these things in, all over the place in many museums, and uh, kind of wonder if Leyalena, uh, somebody wants to be an Abed of wouldn't it be nicer to have friendly looking faces that encourage you and Mechazeg uh, you? Most of them are really ugly, scary-looking things. That I'm not sure why. We don't have to understand the of the Avodah but uh, these things were were sitting around, and they weren't didn't look like a whole lot of fun. And the pasuk adds, besides the chatas yiravam, they also had asheras. Yes. I, I think you, you most of the time when we had people like Nimrod and, and all these, the idea was that if you, if you can manipulate the the powerful then you can do whatever you want because you've, you've kind of tapped into the so the... You see, they, the took the, they took the more imposing ones and they uh, so the were them, maybe. Looking, it, that was, it was all based on <coughs> making sure to be able to... To tap to into that and to... Right, uh, in order to, to, Could be. to get what, what you want. That's the, you twist right. it around in order to... Like the Balpur. Like the Balpur, yeah. Whatever it was, but uh, it, 
you know, for a long time now, they finally got used to the agolim and uh, whatever excuse they had. They said, yeah, Yerofim gave a psak and it represented Ashevet and so we're bowing down, but it really started off good. Whatever Yishuvatas they had in doing this, uh, uh, despite the fact that they did tell them it was Asr, but the Pusik points out that they had imported stuff also. Had other things around, and this is after. Now, why the Asherah? They had a lot of stuff sitting around. The answer is after Yehu, which was just one generation ago, he wiped out all the Baal. He got rid of the major Avodos on the land. So, already a second generation is creeping in with new imported stuff. And they're, uh, they're planting it in the ground, they're putting it in. This, despite the fact that Hashem gave them a Yeshua. In the uh, Six Day War, there was. Uh, Massive reaction. I use the word reaction because uh, what Takash Baruch was looking for was massive change. So yes, there is a huge scare. It's um, I'm t- I'm too young also. I was barely here, but for those who like missed it by a generation, if you read up on it, you see what a pacha there was worldwide. They thought it was all over, and they were. Uh, they were uh, distributing uh, body bags to hospitals and digging kfarm. I mean, you wouldn't, uh, you tell this somebody now, digging kfarm? Open kfarm. Parks and open areas. They had absolutely no solution. And uh, the solution they did have uh, didn't make a whole lot of sense. And the fact that it worked doesn't mean that it made sense to Freya. It depended on a hundred things going right in life. Usually a hundred things go wrong. And if anything would have gone wrong, it wouldn't have happened. So, Midas HaRachamim, unless you hold it was a Maisa Sutton, the Wicked Dalim held that, but most of us yeshivas held that it was an opportunity and it was certainly a Yeshua. And the fact that we did deserve it, didn't deserve it, that's the Midas HaRachamim. But afterwards, you have to deliver and there has to be major change. So the good news is, I always like putting in the good news, there was some change, and many people uh, realized that this Allah this was uh, quite unusual, and even Umar Zaylam said that. And that was probably the beginning of, I can't say the whole Baal Chuv movement happened because of that, because it was also the 60s, the hippie movement, there was a lot of change going on in society, and people were looking at things in an unusual way, which in America, um, if you were in Woodstock, was bad, but if you were... Uh, just going long hair, putting on a knapsack and looking for some truth, and you ended up in Jerusalem, you might be in good shape. So that was also an output of the, of the time and of the, of the way of thinking. But <coughs> the Six-Day War was, was in 67, and it was at the, the height of this uh, new way of looking at things. And for many young Jews, it uh, gave them a sense of identity, and they started noticing that... Uh, that there was a country here, and God did something over here that was very unusual. That was the good news. The bad news is, if uh, they gave out hundreds of thousands of bumper stickers that said, Kala Kavod Sahal, you're going to have a problem. That's not the reaction HaKadosh Baruch was looking for. You want to give credit, then HaKar Satayv? Fine. Maybe, within measure. Uh, but if that's the whole reaction of, that's why it happened, because we had uh, planning and execution that was down to a T, you're going to have a big issue, like the Yom Kippur War. I'm not playing God, I'm not saying that's why, it's the only reason it happened, but uh, you don't have to have uh, Ruch HaKadosh to understand that a mere six years later, they were again in the worst position ever after, if Kol Kavod Sahal, so what happened to uh, all the planning? What happened to all the Kayach? What happened to all the Kayach of Yadi? So, that's not the first time in history all this happened. 
Here, I'm sure, if you'd open up the op-ed in the paper in the time of the Malachim, they would talk about how we had three Mohammeds and it was planned and it was executed perfectly and this uh, Moshiach, Yoyosh ben Yoyachas, was the best commander they've had in many years and that's why we beat back Aram. And that's why we're now sitting Levetach in our Eichel and they had nothing to do with that. We'll see, the Pus is going to describe. The odds were ridiculous, almost like a Hanukkah story, and they won anyway because Akash Baruch Hu wanted them to realize that this is the only way to go, and it didn't work. And that's what the Pusik uh, sort of goes into, beginning of Pusik Zion. Ki lo hishir, lo yachaz. It got so bad, this is now going back. First uh, few Pesukim were an overview. Now we're going to go into detail how bad it was before they had this Yeshua. When he went to fight against Aram, all he had left after the many battles, the many skirmishes, he only had 50 chariots left. That's come out nothing. And the entire count of the army was 10,000 foot soldiers. That's pretty bad. Over the years, and the attrition, Melech Aram had destroyed the army, basically decimated the army. Vayasimeim ke'afar ladush. And Klaisa had become dirt for stepping on, which means they had been uh, totally trampled. That's how bad it was. And the reason the Pasuk adds that now is because, despite the fact that Hay reports the Yeshua, and Vav, it says, after the Yeshua... It didn't change things, and they even added some new avodah And this all, despite the fact that they realized themselves that there was no way they can win, because the army was come out non-existent. And despite all that, it didn't change. This is always the sign-off. Now, Yoyash is the one who makes the Yeshua, so... We keep giving, Malachmah does this a lot. We give a summary, and now we're going to go back and talk about Yoyash and why he was Eichet to bring a temporary Yeshua. Pasuk Yud, Bishnas, Shleshim, Vesheva, Shana, Liyayash, Melch Yehuda, Malach Yehayash. As I mentioned, a little confusing. Yehayash, Melch Yehuda, and Yehayash, Ben Yehayachaz, Al Yisrael, Bishamran, Sheshis, Reishana. Now, this is going to be a sign-off, and you're going to wonder, that was kind of short. He's the man who's going to win three major battles against Aram, and we're only giving him one Pusik. So, hold on, because we're going to give him a lot more, but we're going to sign off beforehand. The Rashi's going to ask, why are we signing off? We have yet to say a lot about Yayash. Yes, sir, Pusik Yudbeis. That's going to be a discussion. Often there was a cold peace between Yehuda and Yisrael. Once in a while there was a war where they actually fought, took prisoners, people got killed, unfortunately. And he's going to fight one of these battles, and we're going to discuss that at length. We're also going to have it over here as well. Notice the word Yeravim, the name. Can you imagine naming a melech from Malchi Yisrael Yeruvim? So it shows you, if we look at Yeruvim, that's like naming somebody, I don't, don't want to use, uh, uh, I don't want to use the name, do you think I'm going to use? Because he, 
he's still a yid, and uh, probably after Gehenna went to Lamhaba, but uh, Yerovam was named after Yerovam and Avad, clearly. And you see the mindset of Klai they were proud of this. He was considered the, the icon of, of Malchi Yisrael, and he's the man who made it happen. He's the man who had the bravery to uh, secede from the kingdom. He put up the temple, he put up the Agalim. This is the esteem he was held in. Interestingly enough, which we have to explain as well, Yerovam is going to be one of the most powerful, successful kings of Malchi Yisrael. In terms of his duration, his tenure, the military success that he's going to have, he's going to expand the borders even further. I'm getting ahead of myself, but just we mentioned the name over here. Uh, and uh, people expected this. We named Yerovam. Obviously, he's going to be a very, uh, very good king, and he's going to do a lot. He wasn't a good king in terms of the Ruchnius. He's going to accomplish a lot, which is going to be another example of Hashem's Midas Arachimim. And one of the last, as a matter of fact. So if you look at Rashi in your Gimel, Yeravam Yashav Al Kisai Benoi Haya. Yeshlit Maya, Rashi says, it's very, very strange. Lama Nichtavu Khan Shnei We just signed off on the life of Yayash and the kingdom of Yayash in Pasigit Beis and Pasigit Gimel. We said everything written is going to be written up in the uh, Chronicles, the private ones, not the Brayyamim. The Yishka of Yayash and he dies. What do you talk about his son who takes the throne, Yeravim? And in Pasigidal, we're going to go back to his life, his battles, and his relationship with Elisha. So Rashi says, why are we interrupting with two psukim, signing off, if we're not ready to sign off yet? <laughs> we have a lot to say about Yeish yet. And now we're just uh, signing off now. We're going to talk about him again, and then afterwards we're going to say he died again. So what are these psukim doing here? Yishkov Yerusha Mavaisa will come later. Vaimarani, Rashi says his own shot. That's already rare. Usually he's quoting a Chazal. Vaimarani, Shlonichtavu El Lahafsik. The reason these two psukim are put here is to make a hefsik, something like the upside down nuns of the Chumash. You have Peronius, you don't want to have two Peronius in a row. Shlonichtavu Misas Elisha, which is coming up. Lemikra Shalavadazar, Laimar Vyas Hara, Velisha Chalo. The next Pasuk in Yadal is going to talk about Elisha, his final illness. And before we said that he, the king was doing Rab Be'ene Hashem, and he's doing Avodah Zarah, so the Pasuk didn't want to put the two together. So we have two Pesukim now signing off, where he's buried, and who the next king is, something relatively parv, and then we're going to talk about Elisha. Even though, in Elisha's uh, final illness, the main conversation is going to be with Yayash. And we have yet to finish with him in a big way. We have a lot to say about him. And uh, you see over here the importance of the juxtaposition of Peronius and Peronius. It's not just, you read Navi, it's like, in our minds sometimes, a run-on, a bad news, bad news, and bad news. Not true. There is some good news. And the bad news is here so we can learn from it, but we don't want to put back-to-back with the Tzadik Lekalisha, the mention of Avodah and then his name. That's Rashi's answer. Abiyanke, which we're going to see in Mitzvah Shem in two weeks. There's no Shia next Sunday. Uh, we're going to see another insight into why this is put here. And then, of course, we're going to start with Elisha's final illness and what he's going to do for Klai Yisrael and his discussion with Yayash. To his credit, Yayash, even though he didn't fix things up, is still a Maimon. It's the grandson of Yehu. His grandfather was very from to begin with. And just like his father, David HaGosh Baruch Hu, he's going to come and the Navi is sick and they realize it's his final illness. He's going to come crying hysterically. 
to the Navi, Avi, Avi, Rechav Yisrael, how can you leave us? We're in bad shape. And he actually has, sounds like he has a relationship or he's creating a relationship, maybe too little too late, uh, with the Navi. And he really believes in the Navi, believes in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yes, Yaakov, you would say, well, he needs the Navi because the Navi's always performing miracles and he wants the government to stand and he wants his Malchus to continue and they want to win. Yes, it's all true. But he comes to the Navi. He doesn't go to the Baal, he doesn't go to the Asher. And that's, that's already a Maila. Uh, the way he talks, very submissive, uh, very, very uh, uh, believing in the power of the Navi and what the Navi could do, and he asks for help, which is a Maila. Again, it's only a Mailif after you get the help, you do something about it. And Mr. Shem will get to that. Let's go to the Pelayayats. Eliyahitz is on page Kufya Dalit in the second half of the Sefer. We start a new entry today, Sipuk, a very important one for our wonderful matzav here in America. And uh, Sipuk means when you're mistapik, when you're happy with your lot. And it also means Sipuk and Ruchnius and understanding what a Baruch gives you and where to run with it, as we just uh, discussed in the Navishir, and is a major Hanukkah theme. But he's going to focus first on uh, what to do with the uh, Gashmias and the Brochus in that department. Bottom of Kufya Dalit Sipuk, the basic needs that you have and understanding that you're here to just get your basic needs. What basic is, is a sliding scale and changes in each generation. Matter of fact, um, for all the parents in the room, I think you've noticed it's changed in the last uh, five years or 10 years. Some people say it changes daily, which is, um, which is an issue to keep up with. Um, the um, days where your parents told you that they went to the School of Hard Knocks and they remember the Great Depression are long gone. Not that long, I still remember my grandparents talking about it. But that's not gonna resonate, so don't try it. Uh, they might remember the uh, Great Depression as the days before uh, New York uh, State gave everybody an iPad. Something ridiculous like that. Yankov, I think you mentioned that to me. So your tax dollars at work. Uh, every household, I guess making less than half a million dollars gets a free iPad, or something like that. Uh, that's the, one of the new initiatives you mentioned to me? Well, less than a half a million. Well, <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's insane. That's a great example. It's absolutely insane. That's what they're missing? They're, 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 they have everything else. They're just missing an iPad. Um, they're, you probably can't function without an iPad, although somebody in government thinks that's not the case. And um, iPad can be put to good use. You can record Shurim on it. You can do all sorts of wonderful things. But the question of what you need versus what you want in today's day and age is uh, probably more out of control than ever before. And um, when we try to tone it down, which is a main struggle in Ruchnius, it's always a question of where you're starting from. And you can't uh, push the agenda too far if they're starting from over here and you remember when it was way below and therefore you tell your kids, sorry, when I grew up, we didn't have this. That won't work that well. 
So you can mention it, you can mention the contrast, you can mention what was going on in Europe, all that just to get some context of what the uh, history has given us and how happy we should be in what we have. But uh, I'm probably going to mention this uh, next week when we go back to the night shear, but we spoke a lot in the last few weeks about the, the uh, American chagas, the uh, religious chagas like the 25th and the, uh, and the 1st and Halloween and, and the like. It's um, probably one of, not have thought of this, had a cousin of mine sent me an article he wrote on a, um, I think it was published in the Atei the Madia, something like that, on our grandparents. He writes for them regularly and he resent it this year because it happened to be the yard site I believe, uh, today, or one of them. And uh, it starts off, I have to read it uh, for you to do justice to it, but he starts off on why they uh, emigrated or fled from Czechoslovakia, whatever neck of the woods they were. And it, the story starts with the pogrom of uh, the night of the 25th when they burnt down every single house in the entire shtetl and everybody left, whoever survived. And that was after midnight mass when you had a horde of drunken peasants and they just came down and burnt and looted everything. That was a common occurrence. One of the reasons given practically why they didn't learn on Nittlenach because they were standing there either hiding or standing there with a stick or with a gun if they had one. So I have to see that last night at 12 o'clock at night and you know, you're sitting in your house in Muncie and there's no screaming and yelling and nobody... Um, notices even if you would if you would just go to Shear as we're supposed to, you probably wouldn't even notice what day it is and um, we take all this for granted Baruch Hashem there's no, the policemen we actually say good morning to, they're not beating people up and uh, we're not at least bit concerned that anybody is going to any prayer service and coming out all rolled up the, the story that I'm going to read to you that not now is, is not so ancient so Mastapik Mu'ud is to first understand what you have and that no one's getting killed, and you'll understand when we talk about the ability to buy another toy, another trinket, another... Is that really the end of the world, and is that a problem? And that's really the take on this... Uh, let's just read one line here. Comes to our... The basic Gashmi stick of things we're into, our houses... Our clothing, the amount we spent on our food and our drink. The drink is more expensive today, depending on what you're drinking. We're put here on earth as a guest to basically just uh, to lodge on the fly, so to speak. What good is it to spend your days trying to pay for fancy permanent dwellings? Chaimetz v'chayel metziyarim v'kiyarim v'tiritzitzim hu l'kvaris yuval b'makam tsar amal amah. He says, if you keep in mind that the end of it is barely a couple of amas by an amah in the kever that you have, you won't lose too much sleep on how large the house is and how fancy the car is. That's his introduction. Again, I always wonder when the Pelayers wrote this in Europe. I don't know how fancy, but I guess everything is uh, contrasted with what you have and how much more you have than the neighbor. 
but it wasn't anything compared to Baruch Hashem what we are able to do today. The question is, what should we be doing with it? Mitzvah Hashem will take that up next week.